Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. The word of the Lord. Imagine a two-year-old child sitting at a dining table, and she's super hungry. And on the table in front of her are two plates. On one plate, there's a rich, luscious, super sweet chocolate cake. And on the other plate, kind of off to the side and slightly out of reach, uh, there's a loaf of high-fiber, nutrient-dense, multigrain bread. You say to the child, this hungry child, go ahead, sweetie, have whatever you want. What's that child going to reach out for? The cake, of course. And once she's eaten, problem solved. No more hunger. Until about four hours later, uh, you set the child back at the table and you say again, go ahead, have whatever you want. And once again, of course, that child is going for the cake. What will happen to that child if the only thing she eats is cake? That child is going to die. So what do you do? You have to take the cake off the table. The only way that child will ever reach out for the bread, which is the thing she really needs, is if you take every other option off the table. Have you ever found in your life that sometimes um, the thing you really need, you'll never reach out for it unless every other option is taken off the table? Imagine you're the one sitting at the table, except in your case, it's, it's not a, a, a cake, but it's money or sex or power, it's influence or fame, or success. It's a political ideology, or a great cause, or a social movement. It's all the things we pour our lives into thinking, this is what I really need. This is what makes life worth living. And here's the thing, many of those things are important. Some of them, in fact, are absolutely necessary for human flourishing. There are certain things that are like bread and water. We'll die without them. But here's the thing. There's a difference between needing something and living for something. And a lot of times in our lives, we confuse those two things, which leads to disastrous results. Because just as a two-year-old child will die if all they ever eat is cake, what happens to us if we live for things that can't really sustain us? We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And... Uh, in the very center of the sermon is prayer, which is not an accident, because at the very center of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about the, the life that we're meant to live, at the very heart of that life is prayer. It's connection with God. So we're looking at this prayer. It's a very famous prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. We're going through it line by line. And this morning, we're looking at verse 11, which says, give us today our daily bread. Jesus is talking about our 
physical needs here about food and water, shelter, clothing, and work. But he's also talking about something deeper, a deeper need beyond these things. What is that? Well, the bread shows us. So let's learn three things from this bread. We're going to see the story of the bread, the purpose of the bread, and the test of the bread, okay? The story, the purpose, and the test of the bread. First, we see the story of the bread. Um, When Jesus talks about our daily needs, it would have been impossible for anyone in his Jewish audience to hear this and not immediately think about the Exodus story, how God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and especially how God fed them with bread from heaven every day, daily, for 40 years in the wilderness. You can read that story in Exodus chapters 1 through 15. It's an epic story, but it also affirms something that Jesus affirms in this prayer. Because even though the whole first half of this prayer is all about seeking God, and we'll talk more about that in just a bit, uh, prayer, according to Jesus, involves asking for our daily needs, physical needs like food, clothing, shelter, work, but also emotional, psychological needs like love and belonging, family and community. Jesus is affirming those needs in in our lives. He's saying your daily needs matter. In fact, you notice that Jesus, he talks about our bread. That means that praying like this doesn't just affirm our own individual needs, it affirms the needs of the whole human community and and drills those needs deeper into our hearts, especially the needs of the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the people who, who typically don't have bread in our society. Jesus affirms those things. The book of Exodus affirms those needs also. Because Exodus is all about God delivering, rescuing people from oppression, and providing for their needs. But here's the really amazing thing about the book of Exodus. You know, Exodus is 40 chapters long. So yes, the first 15 chapters are all about physical liberation, physical needs. But then the rest of the book, in fact, the rest of the first five books of the Bible, which is known as Torah or the Pentateuch, it's all about God doing something else in their lives. He brings them into the wilderness. What is God doing there? When you and I hear the word wilderness, we probably tend to think of a forest with leafy trees and running streams and Bambi and Thumper. But in the Bible, the wilderness is a desert. In the Bible, the wilderness is a place where there's no life support system, no food, no water, no shelter. In other words, it's a place where everything we need to live is taken off the table. Now think about this. God, when He brings Israel out of slavery in Egypt, He does not immediately bring them into the promised land of milk and honey. He doesn't immediately bring them into economic and physical prosperity. He brings them into the wilderness In fact, they're there for 40 years. Why would God do that? Friends, here's what's so important for us to understand. Life in this world is like being in a wilderness. A wilderness is a place where um, all of the things that you think you really need, it's where they let you down. 
It's where we begin to see that this world alone can't possibly sustain us and satisfy our deepest needs. So, for instance, have you ever thought to yourself, well, if I could just get this in my life, whatever this is for you, whether it's a spouse or money or the career or recognition, if I could just get this in my life, then I would be happy. We are so enchanted. We are enchanted. We're ensorcelled by the things of this world. So, but have you ever noticed how you work really hard? If you, have you ever gotten that thing in your life and you found out that you were even emptier than you were before? Why is that? No one ever put it better than C.S. Lewis, our dear friend, the great Christian writer. C.S. Lewis once said that most people, if they had learned to look into their hearts, would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. He says, there are all kinds of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or think of some foreign country or take up some subject that excites us, those are longings which no marriage, no holiday, no career can ever satisfy. I'm not talking about unsuccessful marriages or holidays or careers. I'm talking about the best possible ones. He says that there was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The spouse may be a good spouse, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and the job may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. Life in this world is a wilderness, and and the more we focus on me and my needs, the emptier we get. So, for instance, Lee Stein is an author in New York City. She wrote an essay this past week in the New York Times called The Empty Religions of Instagram. She points out that many people, especially younger people, are a lot of people are just done with traditional institutional religion. So, instead, many people are turning online to follow what she calls personal growth influencers. She says this, that our new belief system is a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. Um, So on the surface, she's saying, you know, it's all about caring for ourselves, attending to our needs. But in reality, she says, the whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves What is the result of that, if that's all we ever focus on? In an incredibly vulnerable part of the essay, here's what Lee Stein says. She says, I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager. But the pandemic has cracked open inside me a profound yearning for a reverence, humility, and awe. But our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Questions like, why are we here? Why do we suffer? And especially, what should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? There is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Maybe we, should act, maybe we actually need to go to something like church? Lee Stein is saying, look, we're made for something, but that's something we're made for. It's more than self-optimization. It's more than self-fulfillment. 
Friends, life in this world is like being in a wilderness. This world alone can never satisfy our deepest needs. And remember, like we said, that does not mean that our physical needs are not important. We saw this last week, by the way, that God created this physical material world. He cares about this world. He cares about your needs. But this passage is showing us that there's a connection between our physical needs and the deepest needs of our life. What is that connection? Well, that leads to our next point. We've just seen the story of the bread, but secondly, we see the purpose of the bread. The wilderness shows us that this world alone can never satisfy our deepest needs. The purpose is to to get us to reach out to the one who really can. It's it's like that two-year-old, remember? We'll never reach out for what we really need unless every other option is taken off the table. So here's the thing. When God brought Israel into the wilderness, He never said, look, your physical needs no longer matter. On the contrary, God basically said to them, look, I know you have needs, so here's what I'm going to do. Every day, I am going to feed you with bread from heaven, and all you have to do is go out and gather it. For 40 years, God physically sustained Israel by giving them bread from heaven. It was called manna. And here's the thing. It wasn't just a once-a-week supply. It wasn't a a once-a-month supply. If that's the way God had done it, then it would have been easy for Israel to just expect it to show up magically and to forget all about God. He didn't do it that way. He provided it every day, every week, six days a week. And on the sixth day, they would gather what they needed for the seventh day. Friends, here's the point. One of the main things that God was doing was not only providing for their physical needs, but training them to look to God as the provision of those needs. The purpose of the bread was to draw them into a deeper relationship with God, a deeper dependency on God, a deeper trust in God. That is exactly what's going on in this prayer, so that no matter what we're praying about, no matter what we're asking God for, it's the relationship with God. That's what's primary. And and by the way, that is really clear when we look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer. So we've been going through the prayer in detail, line by line, but sometimes it's helpful to zoom out so you can see the big picture. You know the structure of the Lord's Prayer is actually pretty simple. It begins with the address, our Father in heaven. But then after that, there are six basic requests. And um, here's what I want us to see. The first three requests are all about God. So look at the personal pronouns, your name, your kingdom, your will. It's totally focused on God. But then the next three requests are focused on us. Feed us, forgive us, deliver us us. Once you see the structure of the prayer, it's actually pretty striking. The the whole structure of the Lord's Prayer is all about God, you, 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 us, us, us. God, you, 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 us, us, us. But even the parts that are focused on us are, are still focused on God as the primary provision of our deepest needs. That's what's going on in the prayer here. So you could think about it like this. Someone in my community group actually um, suggested um, this image. I don't know if any of you are parents who ever sometimes travel for work. 
Um, I know that hasn't been going on much this past year, but as a general rule. Um, imagine that you're, you know, a parent, you go out of town, but then you come back home after a few days. Do you ever bring something back for your kids? A little gift, a little trinket or whatnot? What would happen if you walked in the front door of your house after being gone for a few days, and the very first words out of your children's mouths were, what did you bring me? Not hello or welcome back, but what did you bring me? You would feel a little used. You'd feel kind of unloved. What would you hope to hear? What would you like to hear from your children? I mean, you don't mind if they ask you if you brought them something, but first, you would just want to hear them squeal with delight. Mommy, Daddy, you're back. In other words, you would want them to be more excited about you than they are about what you give them. Friends, that's what's going on with the Lord's prayer here. Not only does God not mind if you ask Him for your needs, He wants you to ask Him for your daily needs. But if that's the first thing out of our mouths, then it's a little bit like a child saying, what did you bring me? The whole structure of the Lord's Prayer is all about helping us to understand that when we come to God, the very first words out of our mouth are not even just daddy, but daddy, daddy, daddy. It's like a healthy relationship between a child and their parent. Here's how I would put it. Healthy prayer means that you're more excited about God than about what He gives you. Healthy prayer, a healthy relationship with God means that you're more excited about God than about what He gives you. Now, please understand something. This does not mean that when you're in distress, we should never just cry out, help! We should. So, for instance, if a child falls off the slide, you know, they're not going to go through all the other relational things. They're just going to cry out, help! And if you're the parent, you're going to run to help them. You're going to run to help them. The distress of the moment takes priority in, in that moment. And God, in the same way, would just expect you to cry out for help in that moment. That's of, of course, that's expected. But when we pray, it's all of our daily needs, even our most desperate needs, always take place in the context of a deep, loving, trusting relationship with God as Father. It's not just once a week. It's not just once a month. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, that assumes what? that we're coming every day, that God wants us to come to Him. He wants us to ask Him for what we need. He wants us to talk to Him about what's going on in our lives, but He also wants us to be more excited about Him than we are about what He gives us. If we could go back to C.S. Lewis for just a moment, there's a place in the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan the lion, who's really Jesus, where he sends some children on a mission, and while they're on their way, they get hungry, and they kind of start grumbling a little bit about it, and, and they say, well, why wouldn't Aslan, why wouldn't he have arranged for our meals? And there's a talking horse nearby, because of course, in Narnia, all the horses can talk, and the horse says, well, I'm sure Aslan would have arranged for your meals if you had asked. And the little girl, I think her name was Polly, she says, well, wouldn't he know without being asked? And the horse says, well, I'm sure he would, but I've sort of an idea that he likes being asked. Friends, God loves it when you ask Him for what you need because He loves you. He wants you to ask 
But he also wants you to be more excited about him than about what he gives you. And that leads to our last point. We've seen the story of the bread. We've just seen the purpose of the bread. But lastly, there's the test of the bread. Because here's the question. Some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. On the one hand, you're saying that God loves for us to ask him for what we need. But on the other hand, you're saying that sometimes God will allow us to suffer loss and disappointment. What's going on with that? Well, here's the thing. It's because the bread in the wilderness, the bread was a test. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, God basically says to Israel, look, I'm going to feed you bread from heaven every day. All you have to do is go out and gather it up. And I'm doing this because it's a test. I want to know, will you trust me? Will you walk in my ways or not? But here's the thing. God's tests are not like, you know, he's not like a mean teacher standing over your shoulder, folding his arm, tapping his toes and saying, okay, get it right or else. God's tests are not meant to punish us, but to grow us into the persons that he wants us to be. That's what's going on. So, for God with Israel every, every um, day in the wilderness, that's what he was doing in their lives. He wants them to grow into the persons that they were meant to be. So that as we walk through life, that means that, yes, sometimes God will allow things to go wrong in your life. Sometimes he will allow you to suffer the loss of things that you had your heart set on. Sometimes God lets us go into the wilderness. Are you in a wilderness today? This whole past year, this whole pandemic has been a one big wilderness experience. It's hard. It's painful. It's deeply painful. But God is not doing it to punish us. He's doing it to do it to grow us into a wiser person, a deeper person, a more generous, more gracious, more patient, more loving person. Friends, that's what's going on in the Lord's prayer here, so that when we come to God, the whole point is that He wants to grow us into the person that that we're meant to be. So, here's why this is so important for us. If we don't understand this about God, then then we're going to go through life with a deeply distorted view of God and reality. That means it'll be possible for us to go through life with this view that says, if I'm a good person then I expect everything in my life to go well. In fact, I demand my life to go well. If that's your view of God and reality, then when things go wrong in your life, you're going to have one of two responses. One response is you'll blame yourself. You'll say, well, things are going wrong in my life because I'm a failure. I'm a bad person. I suck. But the other response when things go wrong in your life is you might blame God. You'll think, well, God, I lived up to my end of the bargain. Why aren't you living up to your end of the bargain? When things go wrong in our life, we'll blame ourselves or we'll blame God. Sometimes we'll blame both so that when the inevitable hardships of life come your way, you will end up an angry, bitter, defeated, resentful, self-pitying person. The only way that changes is is, is if you get a different view of reality, because here's the problem. We have a deeply distorted view of God and reality. That view that if I'm a good person, then my life should go well. Things should go my way. I should have a good life. That is a deeply religious view of reality, but it's not the gospel. 
Only the gospel can transform that view of reality and therefore transform our experience of life. And here's how. When God brought Israel into the wilderness, remember, it was a test, but the test was to draw them into a deeper relationship with God, to build a deeper trust in God. But the thing is, when Israel was in the wilderness, they failed the test. They didn't trust God. They didn't obey God. Centuries later, Jesus Christ came to earth, and Jesus was the best person who ever lived. You know, when we hear words like holiness and righteousness in our culture, um, we have a tendency to think of those words as, I mean, it's laughable, it's a caricature, it's a parody. We're cynical about those words because we've never seen the reality in, you know, in this world. Jesus Christ is the reality. Jesus Christ lived a life of pure holiness, pure righteousness in the truest, deepest sense of those words. That means that if, if anyone had the right you know, to a good life. If anyone deserved a good life, it was Jesus Christ, because Jesus was the best person who ever lived, but Jesus also had the worst life of anyone who ever lived. Jesus obliterates our paradigm, because when Jesus came to earth, one of the first things that happened right before He began His public ministry is He was baptized, and when He came up out of the water, it says that the heavens were opened and the voice of God the Father came out of heaven and it said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The, the voice of God the Father was proclaiming the perfection of Jesus for everyone to hear. And yet right after that, Jesus was led where? Into the wilderness. Jesus went into the wilderness but when Jesus was in the wilderness, Jesus was tested. Jesus was deprived of physical needs. Je but when Jesus went into the wilderness, unlike Israel, Jesus passed the test. Because when Jesus was tested, when Jesus was deprived of his physical needs, instead of getting bitter or angry or defeated or resentful, Jesus trusted God. He clung to God. He obeyed God. But what did his obedience get him? A few years later, because of his obedience, Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. Friends, the cross was the ultimate wilderness. Because on the cross, Jesus wasn't just deprived of earthly blessings, earthly pleasures, earthly needs. Jesus lost the blessing of the Father. He lost the presence of the Father. Jesus lost the love of the Father. Jesus Christ was the best person who ever lived and yet he had the worst life of, every, of anyone who ever lived so that you and me who don't live the lives we ought to live could experience the blessing that Jesus deserved so that when the wilderness experiences come into our lives that we would be able to turn to God and to talk to him about what we need and about what's going on in our lives. Friends, are you in a wilderness today? God wants you to seek him to talk to Him, to trust Him, and to share with Him what are your deepest needs, what's going on in your life, so that you would trust Him. But it's all about seeking Him. It's all about trusting Him. It's all about walking with Him. Even when you're in a wilderness, even and especially when you're in a wilderness, it's all about trusting God, the one that we are more excited about Him than we are about what He gives us. So that when you enter into the wilderness, you'll be able to trust. You'll have a different view of reality and therefore a different experience of reality, even in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we praise you this morning. Um,
for your goodness, Lord. We praise you that you're a God who not only created this physical material world, you care about this physical world. And Father, amazingly, you care about our physical needs and you love it when we ask you to provide for our needs. But Father, you also love it even more when we're more excited about you than about what you give us. Because you know that the deepest need of our heart is a loving, trusting relationship with you. And so we pray this morning that you would draw us deeper into that relationship with you through Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to love you more, to trust you more, to talk to you more about what's going on in our lives. So that, Father, even as we walk through the wilderness experiences of this world, when life lets us down, when things go wrong in our lives, that we wouldn't get angry or bitter or or resentful or defeated, but that we would trust you even more. And that trusting you more, you would turn us more and more into that person you created us to be. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.